Thanks for joining us this week on Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. I am so excited about today's topic. Now, when you find out what I'm going to talk about, you may think that's a little odd that you're excited about it. But I'm excited because what I believe it's going to do for many people who have walked through this, have tried to navigate their way through it, and because I believe a lot of people are going to find healing. Today, we're going to be discussing sexual abuse. In my life, the people that really have had the most influence have been women, whether that was my grandmother or whether that was my mother, my wife, my daughter. Uh, I think about the role that women have played, not only in me becoming a believer, but in me growing as a man. And so today, I have two women who are very, very dear to me, and I'm super excited about having them on the podcast uh, first is my wife, Missy. Uh, many of you are familiar with her, of course, and she works part-time up here at the ministry. Of course, she's the mother of our three kids and just a great wife that um, I love dearly. We've been married 20-some-odd years. And then also we have on the podcast today, Sharonda Donnell. She's our director of operations. In essence, there's nothing that goes through this ministry that Sharonda does not oversee in one capacity or the other. Sharonda and I have been together for over 10 years and um, matter of fact, some of you have um, read my most recent devotion. Who the, the book was actually dedicated to Sharonda. So uh, these are two women that I love dearly, that I have great respect for, and both of them have a really compelling story. A really compelling story, and and I'm very familiar with both of their stories. Obviously, Missy because of being married, and then Sharonda just from the years of ministry that we've been doing together. As I mentioned earlier today, we're going to be talking about a really sensitive subject. And I've always been a believer that one of the most important roles of the church is to talk about those things that are difficult to talk about. Uh, we, of course, we've done uh, podcasts and preached sermons on suicide, many what would be considered controversial issues. And sometimes in the church, some of these issues that are um, hard to navigate and hard to discuss are not talked about. And sometimes there's even a fallacy where people believe that talking about some of these things is maybe it's to taboo or in the case of suicide, that it might lead to other people committing suicide. Of course, all those things are not true. And I think if the church is going to be effective, the church has got to come out of the closet with things that um, and issues that people are dealing with and be honest and open. And so I'm, I'm really honored to have both of them today. And not only that, I think it takes great courage for both of them to uh, talk about some areas of their life that um, obviously have, have been very, very difficult. And although I have never personally been through the things they've been through, um, of course, being married to someone, I guess in some ways, inadvertently I have, um, I think that um, there are many people today that are going to be hearing this podcast not only have been through this, there may be people who are going to hear the podcast today who one day will face this with a son or a daughter or a granddaughter or grandson or maybe even a close friend. So but before we get started today, and um, I want both of them to, to share their stories because they are so compelling, I, I want you to really realize just how big of an issue this is. I did a little bit of research prior to today's podcast to just look at what some of the latest statistics are. And, and these are some of the things that I found. One in nine girls are sexually abused under the age of 18. Uh, they tell us right now that one person every 73 seconds is a victim of sexual abuse. 15% um, of girls aged 12 to 17, 54%, of course, we're talking, I know a lot of this college age and a little bit older, 18 to 34% is, uh, 18 to 34% is 54%. And they tell us one out of every six has been the victim of an attempted or completed rape. Rape, And when you think about what goes along with this, long-term uh, PTSD, SCDs, unwanted pregnancies, suicides, I mean, there's a whole lot of collateral damage that comes along with people who are victimized. And so um, it, it is a huge issue, and it's something that's got to be addressed. And I know that there are people, some of which that have gone through therapy or gone through counseling. Uh, pe different people are in different stages of, of healing and growth. And some people 
are still in a situation or a place where they're not comfortable talking about it or have they been unwilling to go to counseling or, or, or get help. So today, um, I'm believing that not only are we going to find some building blocks to help walk through this journey, uh, maybe even some building blocks to where if you have been a victim of this, you can help other people through your own story and find out maybe a purpose and a plan that God has in this and how he can use it. And then I think we'll eventually get around to, uh, it's going to be great because Sharonda and Missy both are the mother of three kids. And I believe have some great practical advice for moms or dads or grandparents that also may be facing this. So today we'll start off with Missy first. And Missy, if you would uh, tell our listeners, kind of give them a microcosm of your story and how everything began. Hi, I'm Missy. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, babe. Um, well, my story began um, in early childhood. I was about seven to eight. Um, so technically, I guess sexual abuse began when I was about seven or eight through the age of 10 with some neighborhood kids that, you know, we played with and hung out with and spent time after school with and then my second encounter took place uh, later on, about age 12 till about 17, and that was with a family member. And so basically that's kind of the general time frame, ages of, of when it began for me. And of course, to this day, I will have to admit that, you know, I'm in counseling actually right now as a result of this. Um, I will heal in certain areas, and then things will come up, and I'll need to retouch on that. And so I have somebody wonderful that I'm able to share certain things with and just talk through. And so, yeah. And then, Sharon, if you will, tell us a little bit, too, about your story. Kind of give us a microcosm of, of how this unfolded in your life. Okay. Um, by the time um, I was two, uh, we were living with some relatives. Uh, my biological dad had died. And my mom had moved us in with um, some relatives. And from the age of two to six, I was sexually abused by one of these relatives. And then my mom remarried. And from the age of six to 12, I was sexually abused by a stepbrother. And, and, and would I'd be curious and let both of you guys, I'm going to ask some questions today. And I'd be curious. I know there's different perspectives and the healing process looks different for each individual. Um, as a believer, since obviously both of you are, Missy, we'll start with you. Was this an area where you ever blamed God for allowing this to happen? No, I didn't. Um, I never did because I was I didn't become a believer till I was twenty, and so I had kept it pretty much within me. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't talk to anyone about it. It was just pretty much, you know, between me and God. And like I said, at that point, I didn't know the Lord, so. Um, I just kept it inside and just kind of swept it under the rug and didn't really deal with it. Yeah. And, and Sharonda, what about you? Is, is it something also, you know, when we talked earlier about these statistics, these are people who have reported it. And, and I already know from your story and from Missy's story that neither one of you reported it to authorities. That's why I believe these numbers are significantly higher than even what I'm finding on the internet because a lot of people are quiet about it. And wasn't that the case with you as well? Absolutely. No, it, nobody reported it to the authorities. And funny that you bring up statistics. One time I did a Bible study with a group of ladies, probably, I don't know, 50 people in the class. And um, they went through a sexual abuse thing and 80% of the class had been sexually abused. And none of those ladies had also reported. Why, why is it that either one of you did not feel the need? Or did you maybe approach a family member or friend on a lower level and maybe hint around at what was going on? Or did you just not say anything? Was it shame? Was it embarrassment? Was it guilt? What was that? The very first encounter that ever happened with me, I did say to a very close family member, you know, that just didn't seem right. That was a little odd that that happened. And they just kind of were like, I'm sure it was nothing. It's okay. You know, don't, don't worry about it. I'm sure he didn't mean anything by it. And so, you know, I just went on and thought, well, I guess there's nothing to worry about. And back to your other question, though, about have I ever been mad at God? In my later years of marriage, I have wondered at times, you know, why God allowed it to happen with that being such a primary need in a man's life. And it affects 
so many things, which I'm sure we'll get to, but it does affect your intimacy in your marriage. And so I think I, I questioned God a little bit as to why he would allow it to happen when he knew that was something that was going to be so critical in my marriage. And and how have you, I mean, is that some are those feelings that you still hold at times or is that something that you've been able to combat? And if so, how? Because no doubt there have to be other people who also have been victimized and who are asking, I mean, it's a common question. We ask this about a lot of things, God, why? And oftentimes when we should be saying, God, how, how can you use this in my life? How can I grow from it? What is the lesson learned? Which is a whole lot easier said than done. How have you combated that? Well, I have been able to accept the fact that I know that I walked through this painful journey in order to be used. Um, I know that the Lord wants me to use this part of my story to reach women, young girls, and I'm excited to do so. I'm not excited that this is the content of what I have to share as my story, but I'm excited in the fact that God doesn't allow anything in your life that he's not going to use you for. And so I accepted that. I believe that. And I'm trying to, you know, just by sharing today, hoping that there are some women out there that, you know, can relate. Um, you were asking, how do you combat that? Um, sometimes it's difficult, you know, sometimes, um, I've tried to handle it on my own, you know, like right now, um, there's things that have come up in our marriage recently, even in the last year where, you know, we have felt that it would be best to go to counseling together. And, um, so I strongly believe in that. And especially when there's, oh, when there's parts of it that your husband just, has a hard time understanding, you know, it's important to have a different perspective that might can, you know, help kind of guide them and help them to understand you and what you're feeling and dealing with as you walk through this healing process. And Sharada, what about you? I mean, was silence also predominant in your life? And if so, why? And along with that, was the silence partly because of some self-blame that you maybe gave yourself that you shouldn't have? Well, as far as like uh, the question on did I blame God, when I was initially abused, you know, when from the time I was two to six, I didn't even know it was abuse or that it was wrong. Um, yesterday, we were kind of talking about, you know, when I came to realize that, and it was when I was a kin- in kindergarten, and um, I, we were playing, we were laying down for nap time, and um, another little kid was like, I'll show you mine if I'll, if you'll show me yours, and I was like, nothing wrong with that. And so I pulled down my pants and in came the kindergarten teacher who had left the room for a minute. And she grabbed me up and took me in the bathroom and, you know, began to spank me and tell me how shameful I was and how bad I was and how, you know, dirty I was. And at that point, I began to realize, you know, that it was wrong. And so I didn't really blame God at that point, but I did realize that it was wrong at that point when I was about six years old. But from that point on, I didn't really um, get angry at God or blame God until I became a teenager. And I became a really rebellious, angry teenager that, you know, didn't understand why that had happened to me. Was, was there ever any, uh, any time, Sharana, where you thought about saying something to somebody or maybe hinting around, you know, Missy mentioned that she kind of inadvertently had said something to a close family member. I think, I don't want to speak for her, but just from knowing her story the way I do, kind of reaching out for straws, hoping that maybe somebody would recognize a red flag issue. And because it was a family member and both of you were abused by somebody very, very near to you, somebody that you should be able to trust, which I think in some cases makes it a little bit more difficult for another family member to believe it. But in your case, was there a time that you thought about maybe saying something or that you hinted around? Yeah, once I uh, realized that it was wrong, um, and at that point, um, my mom had remarried and um, I'd started being abused by the stepbrother, I told my parents that, you know, he had touched me. And so at that point, my mom and dad sat down with an encyclopedia and went through the whole sex talk. And I had no idea what that was even about, didn't even understand, you know, at that point. And so, you know, I kind of felt like, well, I told him, you know, now what do I do? And the abuse continued to happen, continued to happen. And later on in life, I had a friend over spending the night. And the stepbrother uh, sexually abused the friend. And at that point, I went to my parents and told them that, you know, he did 
what he is doing to me, to her. And so they sat down, the friend and the stepbrother, and talked to them, and both of them denied that anything had happened. And so my parents thought I was making up lies and told me not to be, you know, telling lies like that. And I was probably eight or nine years old at that point. I mean, I don't know what eight or nine-year-old could make up lies like that. And so um, I just quit telling them. And later on in life, I got really angry at my parents and blamed them, too, for the abuse. Mm-hmm. Did For either one of you, did your abuser ever threaten you or say anything to you about, you know, you better not tell or nobody will believe you? Because I know in talking with both of you, uh, of course, me and Mary, do you miss you 20 years? And Sharana, you and I have been doing ministry, working together for 10 years straight and, and longer, um, that there is a propensity for people who are abusers, there's a lot of mind control, um, maybe even a degree of brainwashing. Um, There is a very um, subtle way of gaining control. Um, So for either one of y'all, I mean, was there one of the the people who abused you that at some point threatened you or told you not to tell, which kind of accentuated that need for secrecy? Well, I'll speak first. Uh, my first abuser uh, from the time I was two to six, he made me think that I was his special girl, you know, that we had a little secret, you know, and that, you know, he treated me good, uh, better than my siblings, you know. And so, you know, that kind of kept me from, you know, Papa loves you or whatever, you know, don't, you know, tell anybody our secrets. And so, like I said, I didn't know anything was wrong, so I didn't know to tell. But then later on, um, the stepbrother uh, told me, you know, you don't tell anybody, they won't believe you, which they didn't. You know, I felt like that was a lie from the enemy, and, you know, it worked, you know. And so that's that's what my experience was with both of the abusers. What about you, Missy? Did anybody threaten you or, you know, tell you that you better not say anything? When it began for me when I was seven, um, Definitely not. It was a teenage boy who had already been through puberty, and then there were uh, two younger um, kids who were young brothers who were just kind of, we just kind of basically played games. It was kind of like a a session of games where the older one would organize these like activities and games, and we would just kind of participate and do what he said and So I don't know that I really understood what was going on even at that time, but, you know, just having all of that sexual stuff introduced to me at such a young age, I think carried on into when um, a family member started abusing me at about age 11, then there was this, if you've ever heard of it, a grooming process that takes place, and obviously it being a family member... Um, we were very close. I mean, I was very close to this family, loved them dearly, had a very strong relationship with them, spent a lot of time with them before this ever occurred. So there was, you know, you have this foundation of a close relationship, and then you have this, the abuser who knows he already has you to some degree committed uh, because he has your trust, your love, your support, Um So when that first instance happened, it was almost as if, I wouldn't say it felt normal, but to a degree it did because I had been introduced to so much earlier. So I'm like, yeah, well, this, you know, I've seen this or experienced this, you know, years ago and for quite a few years. And so therefore this isn't odd. And, um, you know, going into puberty, pre-puberty, you know, your body's already responding crazy, your hormones are crazy, and so you don't know really what's going on, and it feels weird or different, but you're not quite sure, and so it was as if he already knew he had won me over because of the family element, um, the trust, the love, the support we all gave each other, and so there was ever never any um, threats made or, you know, this is our secret. It just was naturally kind of kept quiet. You know, for me, it, it makes me angry um, listening to a, the common denominator that you and Sharana both share in that because it's so wicked, the fact of 
how these people uh, utilized manipulation. They built trust. It wasn't like this was just a flippant thing that, uh, in a sense, I blew my, my stack today and got mad about something. I mean, this was a calculated, planned, build trust, manipulate. Again, I used the word brainwashing earlier, and I don't know if y'all would actually use that word, but just how you were being uh, cultivated in a way. I mean, the ground was being fertilized, obviously in all the wrong ways, but just the manipulation that, 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 has, that took place there. It wasn't up until, honestly, probably two years ago, I had heard the word grooming, but I had never really understood the depth of that process an abuser will go to and how that works. And I caught this um, documentary on Michael Jackson, and it interviewed the two or three boys that he abused and how it started out the very beginning, first instance until the very end, and how that all just was such a web of manipulation, deception. I mean, it's really, really a horrible, horrible thing when it comes to abuse, that whole grooming process and how they are so calculated in what they do. I'd be curious hearing from both of you from the standpoint of I can't, again, obviously I've never been a victim of sexual abuse. Inadvertently, I've been victimized because I've been married to somebody. And I know without getting off track here and chasing a rabbit, how it, Leary, it's made me concerned about raising my kids, especially having a daughter. And, and even though I have no relationship with, obviously, either, any of the people that abuse Sharonda or Missy, it just over the years of hearing the stories, I feel anger, even now, you know, hearing about it. I'd be curious to hear from both of you, because I, again, I believe this is a common thing. Both of you in your own way did reach out to somebody. And how did that feel? What, I mean, I know Sharonda, you mentioned that you felt anger toward your parents and, and certainly we're not here to blame them. And, and, and I know, I know your mom and dad, and I know they're great godly people. And of course, they, they, it was an inadvertent, accidental mistake, and, and, and I think probably very difficult to believe that another family would, member would do that. But how did you guys feel when y'all tried to reach out in your own way the best that you could? And what happened to you is what happens to a lot of people who are victims of sexual abuse, and it's either discounted, it's not believed, it's blown off. I mean, how did that make you feel? Unloved and shameful, honestly. What about you, Missy? Yeah, definitely um, shamed, um, guilty. Um, I remember, you know, when I did reach out, um, it wasn't until I was 19 and I was actually dating you, babe. And you were the first one I ever shared it with. And I remember you encouraging me, you know, this needs to be brought out and you need to, you know, tell the person that is closely involved and, you know, it's time, and so it was terrifying. That's a, probably the best way I can describe it is it was super terrifying to know that everything was about to come out and what was the outcome going to be, you know, who was going to still love me, who wasn't, who was going to blame me, who wasn't. I mean, it was just it was very scary. Well, I, I remember literally exactly where we were. We were on our way to a place in Texas down south when you told me and uh, again, I want to kind of stay on point today, but I do want to make a point while we're kind of parked here for a second. Um, I certainly don't blame Missy. I know, and same for Sharonda, it's common for people who've been abused. Uh, I think there's a twofold approach here. I think the enemy wants to isolate you, and I think he wants to, you know, any you're only as sick as your secrets, and, and to keep things a, a secret. And I don't blame victims for why they do want to keep it a secret because there is a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, embarrassment that goes along with it. But but I just do want to say briefly as we move forward that if you are listening, obviously if you're listening to the podcast today and you have been a victim or you know somebody that has, it's got to come out. I mean, it's not something that you can just brush off or let go because by doing so, you're enabling that person to perpetuate that behavior maybe on on, on somebody else. Um, Can I say something? Sure, go ahead. Um, you were talking about it isolating, you know, you, and that's exactly how I felt. Like, this hasn't happened to anybody. This only happens to me, you know. Like, I was alone. Like, nobody else could understand that it was, I was the only one having to go through that and experience that. And I think that's because nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. 
You know, one of the things, too, that I want to ask you guys, and I think this is a really important component, and I think people, again, that have been through this, I I, I already know the answer, but I I want to hear from you guys, is the guilt that's associated with it. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if I remember both things that you guys have said over the years, there was a tremendous amount of guilt. And, you know, I especially think about the ages that all this began, and and I know even being married to someone who has been victimized by it and trying in those early days to say it wasn't your fault, but it seems so hard to break through that wall. Do you guys still in some ways feel a guilt about it? Um, if not, how did you get past that? Um, did you go through a season where you thought, okay, yeah, when I was super young, I couldn't do anything about it. But as I got older, you know, why didn't I stop it? And let me be real. Let me just be honest. When, when, Missy told me, and I'm embarrassed to say this, and it was just a lack of education and ignorance on my behalf. And again, I hate to even admit it, but because Missy had been groomed, it did continue to happen at an earlier age. Now, obviously, when you're talking about somebody that's five, six, seven, eight years of age, but it was hard for me to wrap my mind around as you got older, you allowed that to continue to happen. And even though I never told Missy audibly that I blamed her, there was a a season before I really understood that I did blame her. I, I didn't say it, but I, what I really thought was, well, why didn't you stop it? And and I, I think there may be people that haven't been through this, listen to the podcast today, and you hear this even with uh, people who are victims of spousal abuse. They'll go, well, golly, why didn't you just leave? If he's hitting you and beating on you, well, that may be pragmatic, practical thinking to you. But for somebody who's been indoctrinated into something and somebody who subtly over time has been groomed and been fertilized and and somebody that has been conditioned to believe that something is normal or that it's okay, um, it's a whole lot different than looking at it as a grown person. I, I don't blame Missy, but I wonder, do you guys still struggle with guilt? Do you still look back and go, I've even heard women say in my years of ministry, you know, I look back and in my mind, I know it's not my fault, but in a way, I'm like, well, did I do something? Was it the way I dressed? Was it something that I said? Have y'all have y'all thought that? I don't think that anymore. But there's surely periods of time that I that's all I felt, and other people would also lay that on me with questions like, well, how come you allowed this, or why didn't you stop it, or you know, get away from that person, or why did you continue to go around them? You know, and so yeah, absolutely, I walked through a lot of guilt throughout the years. Is it something, Sharonda, that you still to this day struggle with, or have you gotten to a place where you don't carry that guilt anymore? Because I, I think there's people that are listening today that are going, hey, I'm a 40, 50-year-old woman, and I still am wondering if it's my fault. Did I do something that brought this on myself? No, I don't I don't carry that guilt anymore. I realize that, that that was never my fault. That it was not my fault. I was a child, and the things that they did is on them and not on me. Do you do you feel like that it's possible as a believer in Christ? that that's not just a mental component of people practicing that self-blame, but maybe that's even forces of darkness and evil that are trying to heap that on them to, to bring self-condemnation and doubt and guilt and embarrassment and shame? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's definitely the enemy. Missy, what's your thought on that? I mean, do you still carry some of that guilt? In- I mean, yeah, I definitely experienced it just recently, and it's very quick, and I can catch myself and— take that thought captive and, you know, say, wait a minute, you know, I didn't participate in this. I was a part of it, but I didn't participate. I didn't have any control over this situation. Um, That's the thing I think um, a lot of young girls or older women who experienced it and haven't been through any healing um, and are feeling guilty and shame, you know, feel like they did something wrong or they're to blame or, they instigated it or continued it, but as you mentioned before, when you're being groomed and you're being manipulated and controlled and that whole time that is happening, it is making it harder and harder to get out of, and you're just going deeper and deeper into that entrapment, and it makes it harder to speak up to walk away, to get out of it, you know? And let me say to our listeners, maybe you're somebody that's still carrying a lot of shame. And let me tell you, if you are a believer in Christ, it's important today that you recognize that 
God's work is never to shame you. And obviously, all of us fall short. We all do things that we shouldn't do. We all make mistakes. Some of those mistakes we brought on ourselves. Some of those mistakes we, we, we has been brought on by others. But it's important for you that are listening to the podcast today to realize that one of the things, God may bring conviction, but God doesn't bring shame. That's something that the enemy brings. And what the enemy is doing is not even shaming somebody for what they've done. They're shaming somebody for who they are. And I, I think that's really important. You know, as, again, um, a person married to somebody who was a victim of sexual abuse, and as Missy's already noted, uh, it has had an impact on our marriage. And um, oftentimes in a marriage, um, sexual intimacy is a very important component. It seems like oftentimes more so for men. And some men, obviously, you know, varying degrees of being uh, of a drive. I know for me personally, um, because of some of the issues and the reluctance and hesitance because of what Missy had been through, although I shouldn't have taken it personally, there are times that I still do take it personally. And there have been seasons where I thought, okay, is there something wrong with me? Am I not um, able to, to make her happy? Am I not able to fulfill her? Does she not desire me? And those have been things that actually I've gone to counseling for trying to combat and learn how I can navigate uh, coming to a place of realizing that it, it has nothing to do with something that I'm not doing or that I should be doing or a, a lack of love for me or a desire for me. Because obviously I, I want Missy to desire me, but these are things that Missy has had to work through and I've had to work through as a husband. I'd be curious, Sharonda, what what effects this might have had on your marriage? I know your husband well. He's a friend of mine and known him for years. Have y'all had some of the same challenges that Missy and I have had, or have y'all been able to kind of navigate that maybe more effectively than we have? Oh, absolutely. We've had a lot of challenges because of it. You know, I can't really speak for him, how he's felt, but I do know that, you know, he's had some of the same struggles as you, wondering if, you know, he's done something wrong or um, if I don't desire him or, or what have you. But um, it's really not about y'all. It's about us and what has been done to us in the past. You know, that's one of the things that I, I heard this, and it sounds funny because I don't watch Oprah Winfrey um, at all. I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm not a hater either. But one day I was flipping channels years ago and um, caught maybe two minutes of a program and somebody had been sexually abused, and I'll never forget this. Oprah Winfrey made a statement that I thought was pretty pivotal, and she said, sexual abuse is the only crime I know of that keeps on giving. And I, I, for some reason, maybe because of, again, what, what, what I've seen in, in happened to Missy and, and what we've dealt with, but it was such a powerful statement in that it's the, a crime that keeps on going. And I even think about it as we talked, and I know Sharonda yesterday when we were uh, stuffing envelopes and we talked about how extra cautious it's made us as parents. Maybe even to a fault, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, probably we've went on the far end of the spectrum, you know, trying to protect our kids, keep those things from that happened to us from happening to them. Yeah, obviously, and we're in favor of doing everything you can to protect your kids, but I was telling Sharana yesterday, uh, years ago, Kaylee was real young, our daughter, and uh, somebody, uh, a, a younger girl, had invited her to her house, and I literally had never met her father until that day, and... He came down with his daughter and said, hey, you know, can Kaylee come down and play? And and um, because of how injured and hurt I've been and how fearful I've been, because I, I obviously don't want my daughter to go through what my wife's went through, um, I, I won't say everything that I said to him, but I, I basically threatened him and said, hey, I just want you to know that, um, you know, I'm very, very cautious and I'm very distrusting of people and I'm certainly not making any accusations, but if there's anything that in any way questionable would happen to my daughter, it would it, it would be heck to pay. You see, there was something that you were wanting to say a while ago. Yeah, just about the whole marriage thing. Um, you know, because we're walking through a season right now where, I guess, to be honest, if that's what we're doing here, is, you know, it's been a struggle to this day for us. Um you know, I'm 49, my husband's forever. And so we're just like, we've got to get this ironed out because there is no future for us if, if we don't handle this. We decided that we were going to start counseling about a year ago. And it's been a year and a month. And 
we're still going. And I think that it has had the biggest impact on our marriage for the last 27 years. And I've finally gotten to the point where, I mean, I knew I wasn't healed. And I knew that there was something God wanted to do bigger because this is not what our marriage was supposed to look like. And through that, Jay has had to make a lot of sacrifices and be super patient and give me lots of space, and that's been hard for him. Um, But I've learned a tremendous amount of things about emotional intimacy and how if there is no connection emotionally, it's very difficult for there to be successful physical intimacy. And so we've been building on that and working incredibly hard to build emotional intimacy in our marriage. And I think um, we've come leaps and bounds and God has really, really used this to help us. And Sharonda, and obviously how this unfolds for each individual and in each marriage is different and no different than a, a person's spiritual walk. When they come to a place of recognizing that the only way to heaven is to ask Christ to forgive them of their sins and to believe that he died on the cross and rose again and they begin that relationship. We all know people who their spiritual growth is exponential and it just seems like overnight they grow significantly. And then other people who it takes years. From what I know, uh, and obviously I can't speak for you and Brad's marriage, but you guys have really been able to make better progress than we have. Is there anything particular that has been a building block that has helped you guys be able to overcome some of those struggles that maybe you had in the earlier years that you would, somebody listen today to the podcast who maybe they're like me, Missy, you know, that's still an issue and they're trying to work through it and they know they will. Uh, they're getting help for it. Is there anything that you can think of that maybe you and Brad has, has done that has helped you bridge that, 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 I guess, gap you might say that at one time was there? Well, um, in the earlier years, I didn't even know anything was wrong until one day I was talking to somebody who, I guess the only terminology I can use is normal, had never went through abuse. And I said to her, you know, I guess everybody, every married couple, the, the main thing they fought over is sex, money, and children. And she said, me and my husband have never fought over sex. And I thought that was odd. Wow. And so, you know, then it became, you know, okay, well, then something's not right, quite right in our marriage if that's something we fought over. And so I, you know, I started talking to older women who were, you know, much more mature than me in the Lord and, you know, were have had a great relationship with their husband. And um, some of the things that they told me is, you know, you've got to uh, be intimate. That's the, the, you know, the key to a good relationship is because that's how he feels love. And when I realized that that's how he, that men, most men, that's how they feel love is through intimacy, you know? And so I started making a conscious effort to uh, be more active and engaged and trying to be more fulfilling in that area. When Sharonda says that's how a man feels loved, that is so true. And I think that's the main question I always have had for the Lord is why Lord would you put someone who has gone through so much trauma and injury and pain with, a sec- with sexual abuse and pair me with someone who is so driven and intimate and physical. And he has asked the same question. And it's a very difficult, very difficult road to walk. But I just, you know, my husband just always felt such rejection and that I didn't love him. And, you know, there was such expectations and pressure because he wasn't getting what he needed to feel f- feel his love tank and feel loved. And that which he needed and so desired for me was only pain and trauma and injury. And that's how I associated it. So I didn't want to give that because that's all I ever knew associated with intimacy. So I just wanted to, you know, reserve that and hold that in and control that part since it was never able to be controlled during those situations that I encountered. Obviously, both of you ladies are are believers and uh, have a strong relationship with Christ. Both of you, there was a point in your life when you didn't just join a church or go through confirmation or get sprinkled or baptized. It was a, I know both of you well. There was a point when you recognized that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that you believed that He died on the cross and rose from the grave, that you wanted a personal relationship, you called on His name and invited Him into your life. 
what role does did that play in though maybe those early days or what role is that playing now in this whole process of trying to continue to heal and overcome either one of you I did have to go through a lot of forgiveness, uh, not only for myself, but for the people who abused me. And I did get to actually look both of my abusers in the eye. Um, both of them have passed now, but before they passed on and tell them that I forgave them. And honestly, once I did that, uh, it was like I had broke a lot of stuff off of myself. I, I got to be honest with you, Sharon. Hearing you say that, I mean, I respect it. I know you. I've known you for over 10 years. I've worked, I've spent as much, probably more time with you than my own wife because we've worked together. And I know that what you're saying is true. I, I know it's not something, okay, it's a podcast. And, you know, I, I believe that. But to be honest with you, it's very difficult for me because I don't even know either one of your abusers. And anytime I hear anything about it, I feel anger. And, I don't know, and, and granted, I can quote all the verses about forgiveness as good as anybody. And I know what the Lord says about if you don't forgive others, he won't forgive you. I know all that, and I agree with it, and it's biblical, and it's true. But saying that is one thing. Saying, and, and, and I know you've done that, and, and, and it's difficult for me to wrap my mind around. And I, I got to believe there's people today that are listening to this podcast going, Sharonda's right. I need to forgive so-and-so. It doesn't matter whether it was a stranger or a next-door neighbor or a family member that they should have been able to trust like a grandfather or a brother or a nephew. But can you give some kind of practicality to, because again, I don't know that I could do what you've done. I, I just, uh, being honest, I mean, I can put on the preacher cap and say, yeah, forgive, forgive, forgive. But it'd just be a bunch of talk because it's been hard for me to forgive what's happened to Missy. And I don't even know these people. How do you, I mean, it, I know that's a, a very difficult question to unwrap, but how do you forgive somebody? We're not talking about somebody told a lie or stole some money from you or hurt your feelings. We're talking about a significant tipping point in your life. And for a person who's listening today going, gosh, I want to forgive. I know it's biblical. I don't want God to not forgive me because I haven't forgiven others. How did you do that? Well, I'd really started to grow in my relationship with the Lord. And I felt like I had come to a point where the Lord said, you cannot continue growing with me until you forgive these people. And once I did that, it took me a long time. I mean, you know, years, honestly. And once I did it, it's like I had this, I was attached to them, you know, like by an, wow. a, 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 wow. an imaginary string or something, you know, wow. and it's like they were dragging me around. But once I did that, it's like it was severed off and I was free. It, you know, it was, it was very freeing. I mean, honestly. I want you to comment on this as well, Missy, but I I literally, the hair just almost standing up on my arms from what Sharonda said. I think there's so much insight. And I hope those of you that are listening that you really caught what Sharonda said. You may be listening on iTunes or whatever, and you might want to rewind it. But Sharonda made a statement in case, and I just, I think it bears worthy to be repeated about the attachment and wanting to break free from that attachment. And I think one of the reasons why when she said that statement, it was like this epiphany because obviously the last thing that you would want to do is keep any attachment to somebody who hurt you as deeply as these people hurt you. And it seems like a dichotomy. It seems strange to think, well, but the way to be released from the abuser is to forgive them. I know biblically that's correct. I mean, I know it's correct, but I think that's such a great statement that you made from the standpoint of not only, obviously, can I not be forgiven because God doesn't forgive me when I don't forgive others again, and we know that, but I want to be set free. And we know, we all know the verse, John eight thirty six, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But being free from the abuser and to break that emotional, physical, and all the different components of, of, of that attachment, I think that is such a... A, a, a powerful statement. Missy, what about you? Before, Have you Before we move on to Missy, you said something that reminded me. Um, you know, I was a, a pastor's daughter and I was raised, my, the, the man my mom married was a pastor. And so I was raised under the word of God and I knew all those scriptures about forgiveness. And I, honestly, before God led me to forgive them, I knew that and I just didn't care. I said, Lord, surely you could forgive me for not forgiving them for what they did to me. Wow. You know, so it wasn't until God told me, you cannot move on in your relationship with me until you forgive them that I actually was able to. Great statement. And don't, don't both of you, I, I, I would assume both of you would agree with this statement. There are certain things, I mean, I've always said, 
I've told people all over the world that I've spoken to, you cannot live the Christian life on your own. Don't even try because you're going to fail. You have to have somebody, you have to have God help you to live that life because you were never meant to live it on your own to begin with. And don't you think, because I mean, it'd be easy for me to get on here, especially somebody who's not been through sexual abuse and say, you need to forgive, forgive, forgive. Well, I mean, that's easy to say, but it's not so easy to do. From what I, if I'm reading between the lines correctly, part of that process of breaking that attachment and you being able to forgive was the fact of depending on God to help you forgive that you couldn't have done on your own. Is Absolutely. That, is that, that's exactly right. How about you, Missy? Do you think you've honestly forgiven those that have done this? Absolutely. Um, however, it was not a one-time thing for me. And sometimes it's a continual, as things rear themselves, as feelings or triggers rear themselves, it's been more of a constant thing for me where I've had to hand it back over to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I know this is done with, this is over, I've handed it over to you, but Lord, I'm just having issues or I'm having struggles, Lord, my heart is not, you know, feeling the way it should, Lord, just take this from me and Lord, just replace it with peace and comfort and love. So for me, it has not been a one-time thing, it has been more of a continual um I don't necessarily believe that, you know, it's always just a one-time thing and you're done. But um, also, I don't know that, you know, for some people, it's not possible to forgive them face-to-face. And so I think the forgiveness process can um, also take place and you not have to encounter that person face-to-face, as I have not been able to. And so therefore... Just because you can't do it face-to-face doesn't mean you can't be free from those chains. Absolutely. Well, and again, as I've stated, I've not been through sexual abuse, but things have happened to me. People have done things that has been very difficult for me to forgive, and uh, I've struggled with that. And, And I just can't help but believe that there are people that are listening today that go, yeah, you know, I hear that. I just, it seems so far away to be able to ever forgive, especially if it's something that's new. And of course, maybe, and I think there might be some situations that might be more difficult to forgive, uh, i.e. in the case of somebody did it to my daughter, it might be a little bit different as much as I've been angry and frustrated what happened to Missy, my innocent daughter probably would have even a different level of, so, you know, you might be listening and go, well, gosh, I, I want to do that, but I'm not there. You know, it's okay. It's okay not to be okay. And, and again, that's a process. And, and, and it may be, you might be a Sharonda where you're able to forgive and literally move on from it and completely forgive it. And, and it may be, you may be more like Missy. Either way is okay. Where It's a continual process. Uh, I know Missy, and I know it's not something that she continues to harbor, but there may be seasons where uh, different triggers come up that prompt her to recognize a need for maybe a, a deeper or a new level of forgiveness. I'd, I'd be curious, um, are there specific triggers for each of you? And have you identified those? Do you recognize those that are stumbling blocks for you that, and maybe I, I think for, I know from Missy that some of those triggers just show up out of nowhere, but are there different triggers for you that you know in advance, these are things, mindsets or things that I need to avoid that might take me down that dark tunnel? Well, as far as like intimacy triggers, like, um, I do know that I don't like to be woke up in the middle of the night for intimacy <laughs> because Amen, sister. that reminds me of, you know, what took place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I don't like people to pin me down or like put their arms around me real tight because I feel like I'm being held, held down and forced to do something. And so I do know that as far as intimacy, those types of things, you know, um, but as far as like emotional triggers and that sort of thing, yeah, there have been things in the past where, you know, somebody says something that triggers a thought, you know, and you have to be really quick about casting those down or you can entertain them and go down a whole, you know, spiraling. Sure. Real quick, you, you talk about casting that down. Explain to our listeners what you mean by that. You have to just take that thought captive and say, Lord, you know, this thought came to my mind and I need you to handle it because, you know, if I sit here and entertain it, then I'm going to go back in time and think about all the things that happened to me. And, you know, that's not good. I mean, it just leads to a depression, honestly. 
it's crazy. I mean, y'all think we're crazy here, but like Jay and I are walking through this journey kind of as we speak on a different level right now and, and just trying to gain what God has in store for us. We're trying to get to what he wants for us to experience. I mean, we're in our, I'm almost in my fifties. So therefore, I mean, we don't have that much time left and we're tired of messing around and we're tired of, you know, losing all this time and, you know, just being miserable basically. I mean, and so we're wanting that area of our life to be peaceful, um, joyful and exactly the way God intended it. Um, honestly, triggers for me were pressure, um, any type of pressure from Jay and expectations, um, things he wanted to happen, things he wished would happen, you know, and anything, anytime he would express that to me, man, I would just withdraw and retreat. And it was just, it was too much to, to, for me to handle. I just, I didn't know how to handle the pressure and, you know, I can step back as I've been going through counseling and see that, you know, he is just walking through his own pain, you know. And so trying to come to grips with, you know, understanding Jay and understanding his needs and, you know, what that really is for him is in no way attached or related to the expectations and pressures that were put on me through the abuse. When you say uh, pressures, um, I want to know if that means that you also had added guilt because I know that when I felt pressured and I didn't feel like I was performing the way that bride wanted me to, then I felt guilt. Like, you know, I, there was something wrong with me and that it's all my fault. Um, there was a feeling of guilt that came after, um, the quote pressures he would put on me, but I'm referring to pressures like in verbally, like, you know, why aren't you ready? You know, why, why do you not want to be with me? I mean, it's time we've, you know, it's been weeks or, you know, and it's just like, you know, all of that was just so much. And, and yeah, I would withdraw and go, man, you know, here I am all that I've been through, you know, whatever it's causing all this pain, it's causing him rejection. This is my fault. You know, it's all me. So yes, I have definitely had guilt tied to that. For me sure. too, me too. And folks, let me just say here, I mean, this is a, not an easy podcast even for me. I mean, and I know it's not easy for the girls either. I mean, uh, but, and that's the reason we do the, the Jay Ladder podcast. Uh, you know, we could sugarcoat things and it'd be real easy to just make everything sound so rosy. And, and it's not easy to talk about, you know, marital struggles and sexual abuse. But I believe that for the church to be what the church is supposed to be, and for us as believers to be what we're supposed to be, there's got to be a level of transparency. And even the scripture says in James, Jesus had brothers said, confess your faults, your struggles, your shortcomings to one another, and you'll be healed. And I believe that part of the healing process is as difficult as it is to be on a podcast that people can listen to all over the world and say, hey, yeah, we're going to marriage counseling, and yeah, here we are 20 years later, and we still have struggles in the in intimate life, or to say I was sexually abused. or uh, These are not easy things to do. Uh, that's not trying to blow our own trumpet here, but it's saying that, hey, this is why we do what we do, and we feel like, and we believe with all of our heart, that for you as an individual listening to the podcast today, that part of your process of healing and restoration and recovery is, is being open, which really is a great transition. We don't have a lot of time left. Um, and I've jotted down a few things that are reflective of conversations I've had with the two of y'all. And feel free to any other ideas that you might have. But what are some practical things that a person who's been through, Sharonda, what you've been through, Missy, what you've been through, what are some practical things? I've jotted a few things down. I'd love to hear any insight that you might have. I, I think about um, the um, reaching out. You know, um, I know that Missy has told me about a friend that she's connected with who has also been through sexual abuse and never discusses it with her husband, has never been to counseling. Of course, we're not saying you have to go or don't have to go, but obviously that secrecy only continues to breed that guilt, that condemnation. Uh, I think reaching out um, and reaching out may be to a pastor, it may be to a licensed counselor, it may be to a sister, a brother, a husband, I, I don't know. Uh, another thing I wrote down, reflective again of our discussions, is, and you guys are doing it right now. You know, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians, um, 
well, I'll just quote both of them. It's one, Second uh, Corinthians one, three, and four. One three says, "Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies." Now, listen to this. It's a direct quote, and the God of all comfort. I believe that God wants to bring comfort and healing to you. And who cares what I believe? That's what the Scripture says. Now, in verse four, it goes on to say, "Listen to this carefully." who comforts us, that's God, who comforts us in all of our tribulation so that we may be able to comfort others with the same comfort we ourselves have received from God. So there's two promises here. One is, is that God is a God of comfort. That means God is a God of healing. Psalms 147 verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds, whether those wounds, whatever they may be, sexual abuse or whatever. Um, Psalms 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and sustain you. And I, I want to say unequivocally today to everybody listening to this podcast, if you're a victim of this, God can and God does want to heal you. I'm not saying it's going to happen today. There's no magic potion, no magic solution. There's no A, B, C, D. But God can and wants to do that. And maybe today is not the time. But that verse I quoted in verse 4 says that God comforts you in your pain, your tribulation, your trouble, so that you can then turn and take that same healing ointment that God has given you and you can pass it on to others. And that's really what both of you ladies are doing today. It would have been easier not to do this podcast and talk about it and sweep it under the rug. So the second thing that I jotted down was help others. Sometimes the greatest thing that we can do that we think we're doing for others that we're really doing for ourselves, is helping other people. Another thing I wrote down, uh, number three, was join a support group. Again, that may not be for everybody. I'm not saying that. There may be some kind of recovery program at your church. Again, that might look like a counseling session, whatever. Uh, the fourth one we've talked about today is not blaming yourself. Both of you mentioned today that you went through a season of blame, that there are even seasons of that. Uh, we talked about, I wrote this down, number five, recognized triggers. Are there other things that you guys can think of, practical things for people listening to the podcast today that could be implemented in their life. Obviously, it goes without saying, you're both believers. You both believe ultimately that Jesus Christ is the ultimate healer and that you've got to depend on him, that you can't do it on your own. But are there other building blocks that you guys would give to other ladies or even men that have been through what you've been through? I think um, the biggest thing for me has been learning communication. Learning to communicate with my husband has been the most healing in the last year. Um, I know that God does not want to leave any of us in our pain. God does not want you to be left where you are hurting and injured and uh, traumatized. He didn't want me to stay here, and I've recognized that. I have reached out and prayed and begged him to take me through this process of healing um, and recovery. And I think he is definitely, you know, put in our path someone who has been able to um, be a mentor to me and has been able to give godly counsel, has been able to love me through, you know, hard days, um, counsel me, giving me tough love. Um, so I encourage, you know, any of you women out there who are, you know, have experienced sexual abuse to, you know, find a lady, find an older person out there who, you know, maybe can walk with you and, and give you counsel and godly advice and, um, just love you through it. And then lastly, you know, I strongly believe in counseling. Um, some of you may not, but it has been huge for us this last year. And, um, I've seen Jay just change immensely and, uh, just so many ways and just the way God's moved in my heart and, and grown me and um, just progressed me in, in areas of where we've struggled has been incredible. So definitely counseling is recommended. And what about you, Sharonda? I mean, I'm sitting across from me here at the table and, and I see you've got a lot of verses. Maybe it's a verse. What, what are some of those building blocks that you might tell people today to listen to the podcast? Well, um, uh, that is a good point. I did uh, write down verses and post them all over my house, refrigerator, the mirror, whatever, and claim different scriptures over myself. Uh, um, the one in Isaiah about uh, ashes for beauty is uh, is a good one. And then uh, there's one in Corinthians. I can't remember now because I don't quote them over myself anymore. But um, it was uh, God makes all things new. 
yeah. that's a good one to uh, quote. But you have to find your own one that speaks to your heart, you know. So uh, find some verses, put them up around, and, and quote them over yourself every day. But one thing I would say is don't dwell on the past. Look to the future. And if you can't look that far ahead, then look for at today, the present, and find something good in it and focus on that. Um, counseling is always important, as both of y'all said. Uh, also finding someone who has been through what um, you're going through. Um, I'm always willing to, to help people. So if that you can't find anybody, then I'd be willing to talk to you. Um, absolutely. That goes for me too. And I think that, uh, talking to your spouse is great, especially on those trigger points, things that, uh, trigger memories or, you know, that you just, that cause intimacy problems. I think it's important to discuss that with your spouse. And, um, as far as like, um, advice for others, uh, trying to help someone in this situation, I would say believe them. If anybody comes to you and says that uh, someone has touched them inappropriately or that they're being sexually abused, if they're kids, they probably won't say sexually abused, but they'll probably say, you know, somebody kissed me or touched me, you know, in different spots, then I say believe them. Check it out, you know. Um, don't just brush it off. Um, and don't make them feel worse about it. Don't ask, well, how could you let them do that or why? Uh, would you and that sort of thing. So I think that that's important too. Yeah, I love I love the fact of, because again, both of you weren't believed. As we talked earlier in the podcast, it's a common denominator and it just adds insult to injury when it's not believed. Of course, we've had the Me Too movement that's come in the last couple of years and there has been a transition and a shift that I think has been been very, 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 very helpful. But but I, I think that is a, a huge point. And I also like what you said about finding somebody who you can relate to, somebody that has already navigated this path. I mean, I was on an elk hunt eight weeks ago, and although I know a lot about deer hunting and dove hunting, we hired a guide, somebody that had more experience, somebody that knew the mountain, somebody that knows more about elk that could help us navigate the trail and know what to do and what not to do. It didn't mean that uh, we actually didn't kill an elk, so it didn't mean make everything perfect, but enabled us to have a lot better bearing of what we needed to do and to be able to, to have an opportunity for much greater success. And really, that's even a, um, you see that in the Bible. One of my favorite stories, I love this. Um, it seems insignificant, but I think it's so cool. When the mother of Jesus, Mary, um, when she got pregnant, what did she do? She immediately went to Elizabeth, who was her cousin, who was pregnant with, who would become Jesus's cousin, John. Why did she do that? I mean, she was pregnant. She was young. Why not go to another girl who's going through what I'm going through, and we can walk this journey together and relate to one another? So I think that's a, a great point as well. And then I wanted to throw a few things out real quickly just in closing today um, for, again, I'm, I'm talking from the perspective of somebody on the flip side, somebody who's not been through sexual abuse, but somebody who's married to someone um, that is. And so I think some of those, some of those building blocks and some of those bridges that have to be built are in a different capacity. And I don't have a lot, but, but I did jot down three today and, and I'm not saying I've always done this. And so, um, um, Missy may, I don't know, may give me a look and think, I wish you'd have done a better job. Cause I wish I'd have done a better job. But the first thing I wrote down is remind them of your love and support. And sometimes that's difficult when you feel rejected. Uh, maybe you're married to a, a lady that's been through this and there are triggers and maybe there's apprehensions and it's a whole lot easier to say that and remind them how much you love and support them when you feel as though you're being rejected and you're having difficulty as I have over the years of not taking it personal. The second thing is, is always encourage help. Um, I've made it clear to Missy that if you want to go to counseling, fine. If you want to meet with a, a spiritual mentor, that's fine. I mean, whatever that is going to help you, I want to support that. Um, in, 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 in whatever capacity it might be. And then, of course, something that Sharonda and Missy both have mentioned, which, again, uh, I'm certainly not saying that I've done this, uh, but, but something that I, I, I always want to do better, and that's being sensitive about sexual intimacy. And, again, I've got to believe there's men that will also be listening to this, and, and they're going, man, um, yeah, that all sounds great, but you felt some of the things that I felt, and you felt neglected and rejected and... And, um, and it's, it is very difficult to be sensitive about it. And, and, and I struggle with it to this day, but, but it's something that I want to improve on. Well, um, in closing, is there anything else that you guys want to add before we, we close out today's podcast? Maybe a final word of wisdom? or I, I do want to say before I let you have the final floor here, 
is that we're talking today about healing and about restoration and building blocks. But, but I, but I want to say, because it's important, at the end of the day, J. Ladder Harvest Ministries, our mission statement is this, reaching people for Christ and inspiring others to do the same. We not only want to talk about issues and be open and transparent as we've been today, which has not been easy, but we recognize that ultimately, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, whether if we could give you a billion dollars, if we could give you all the food in the world, if we could give, if we personally could give you all the healing world, if you die without Jesus Christ, it's all to no avail. And the ultimate healing comes from a personal relationship with him. It doesn't come by joining a church or starting to read your Bible or turning over a new leaf. No, it comes from putting your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Now, I'm not saying that's a whitewash. Well, okay, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Maybe you're not a believer today. Maybe you turn in the podcast, somebody told you about it, and you've never had a relationship to Christ. Maybe occasionally you go to church or intellectually you believe in a God, but you've never truly received Christ. I am not saying that if today, because right where you're at, you may be driving down the road, you may be at the house, you may be on your computer. Do you realize that right where you're at, according to not Jay Louder, but according to God's word, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter what you have done or what you haven't done. God's grace is greater than any shortcomings in your life. And literally right where you're at, if you truly believe in the depth of who you are, that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the grave on the third day, and you are willing to receive him by faith. Faith, what does that actually mean? Trust, trusting him to forgive you and to come in your life. That means right here, right where you're at, you could pull your car off the side of the road. Matter of fact, I mentioned elk hunting and our guide. I shared the gospel with him just like I did you. Didn't quote 50 verses, and he pulled his truck off the side of the road and met Jesus, and he got baptized just a few weeks ago. That can happen to you. Now, that doesn't mean that if you make that commitment to Christ today, that all of a sudden everything's going to be perfect. We're not saying that. But the ultimate healing comes from a relationship with him. Well, so in closing... Um, ladies, is there anything else that you guys want to add to today's podcast? Maybe it's a word of wisdom or um, anything that you guys have left that you want to make sure that we include today. Well, I will say to, you know, add to what you just said, uh, I would have never been able to forgive the people who abused me if I had not first known Christ. So it was only through him that I was able to do that. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, I think I have a hope that I wouldn't have, um, for a great marriage, for a joyful, intimate um, relationship with my husband that I would not have if it weren't for my relationship with Christ. I don't even think we would be married, honestly, if we weren't believers and if we hadn't both um, been walking with the Lord through this time. So I encourage you to reach out to him and to just ask him to, you know, begin this healing process and to carry you through it, to walk you through it, to love you through it. And he will. Absolutely. Well, I love both of you guys. Appreciate so much. Thank you for your willingness to take your story with all the pain that's been in it and use it as a catalyst to help other people. I have so much respect for you. And for those of you listening to the podcast today, I hope that it's been of great benefit to you. And I hope that you'll share it. Uh, of course, it's available in all different mediums, starting with iTunes all the way down. And uh, it'll also be on social media. I hope that you'll share it. You just don't know. But I would guarantee you that there are people in your social pipeline that you would never even dream, maybe even a sister or a family member, maybe even a, a brother that uh, might still be fighting these battles that could find some hope from today's podcast. Well, it's uh, been great being with you. We look forward to having you next time on the Jay Ladder Podcast. <laughs>